thank you for watching today's episode of Equip. We are so excited. We have a very special guest with us today, a prophetic voice to the nations and also a missionary at heart. Um, Doug Paradise is with us today. Him, along with his wife, Kim, have ministered, and I want to get this right, in Nepal, Cameroon, and Vietnam. And they are currently living in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. But they are here with us in Canada today and uh, on today's episode of Equip. So Doug is known for his very vibrant, outgoing, fiery preaching, prophetic voice that he has to the nations. So I just encourage you just today to tune in and to listen to uh, Doug's story and um, you will be blessed. So Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be here. You know, 45 years ago, Christ walked into my life. I didn't come to him, he came to me. Coming out of a Catholic background, practicing Catholic, my family was 400 years Catholic, both sides of the fence. France, Canada, U.S. So my parents put pressure on me as a young son to become a Catholic priest. That's the last thing I wanted to become. I have an older brother. They also put pressure on him. When he robbed a church at gunpoint, they obviously, that disqualified him. So then a lot of pressure came on me. So I had to go to Catholic school, which I never enjoyed personally. Some of them might be good. Uh, and so when I, but it kept me moral. And so I went to Mass daily, six days a week. Uh, usually only old people go to Catholic churches uh, during the week. <clears throat> and so, uh, but uh, I, I tried to be a good boy. So when I got to college, I started getting off the road. I started to question my own Catholic faith that I never studied. Uh, I'm a Catholic because I'm a biological Catholic. And uh, I, everything I was taught uh, started to go south. And I found myself in college uh, protesting against the Vietnam War at that time. Uh, working with the Black Panther Party, radical blacks in the states to overthrow the government, uh, and also aligning myself with the Communist Party. So I was a different, mixed up young man. You were, you were kind of all over the place. All over so the you're, place. You, so, you, so just to kind of go back, you yeah. saw your brother rob the church at gunpoint. I didn't, but he did. He, he, yeah, but, oh, but you heard then. about that, yeah. yeah. And, but, and you resisted the Catholic faith. Well, I started going south on the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. It just, it was, for, at that time, not to be critical of Catholics, the church was dead, at least mm -hmm. dead for me. Yeah. And I never met a happy Catholic priest. And mm -hmm. I, again, I went to school where they taught some of the religion classes. And uh, there was a fear of God in me, but not a love of God. Mm -hmm. So I remember as a kid, every night getting on my knees saying, Jesus, forgive me for all my sins, don't let me go to hell. And that's virtually my prayer. And it kept me out of trouble mm -hmm. to some degree, but wouldn't get me in heaven. So my brother, being older than me, mentored me in drugs. I got into involved mm -hmm. the drug use, sales, smuggling drugs across Mexico, using drugs. At the same time, somehow passing college. And just got mixed up, and I became a very angry person, and my parents uh, were good parents. They did the best they could. So they didn't know what happened to me. Um, because there was a religion in me, my brother started appealing to that and saying, you're getting mixed up, you're going to jail, what's wrong with you, you're a college student. And I wondered, how could a good Catholic boy like me be in, in jail? Hmm. And uh, so he brought me to a Hindu temple in LA. And at that time, the Hare Krishnas were evident. And uh, I not only visited the temple, I joined the temple, quit my job. So I became a Krishna consciousness person. So I lived there 24-7, studied their literature, uh, chanted around the clock. And one day I heard a voice uh, inside my heart or my head that said, get out of here, you'll never find me. Oh, wow. And I could feel it, what I now know to be a spirit trying to pr come inside me, come inside me. And I felt fear. Hmm. And so I made a plan to escape from the temple. And, uh, but before wow. I did that, uh, a gal that was there from San Francisco, she said she wanted to leave the Krishna temple. 
She had no peace, and so they beat her publicly. They held her arms. They started taking turns, oh. saying, you've got demons. And so I tried to intervene. They stopped me. So I figured, I'm not going to get out of here without a fight. So I called my friend, a football player, and said, can you be down here tomorrow at 12 noon? I'll fake like I'm sick. And because everybody on the streets dancing and chanting, there'd just be two temple guards here. So I did that. And uh, so when he showed up, I had my bag packed. And these two temple guards blocked the entrance and said, you're going nowhere. And I said, well, somebody's going to the hospital, either you or us, but we are going somewhere today. Mm. And so, I, so my friend was pretty physical. And uh, they said, you're going to hell. And I said, if I do, I'm sure I'll see you there. And I walked out of there. My brother said, what is wrong with you? He said, you know, you always go so extreme. I said, you brought me there. It's your fault. And he said, let's, let's leave L.A. where we were and let's go to San Francisco and we'll start something up there north of the city. We opened up this rock and roll club and selling coffee, tea, and everybody was living with their girlfriend, five of us. And um, my brother said, you should be happy. You know, we own a rock and roll club. You've got some friends and da 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 I knew Jimmy Page. I knew Rod Stewart, a one-on-one. -on -one. I knew, uh, what's his name, Ron Wood of the Stones. So I partied with these guys before a little bit. But again, nothing satisfied my life. And so uh, one night I lied to that girl. And I said, listen, I got to go into Santa Rosa uh, and meet somebody there. And I thought, man, I left my wallet and I'm coming. I'm on I'm an LSD, a hallucinogenic drug. So I'm, I'm coming down a little bit. And I thought, man, I need sugar. I need some donuts. And uh, I still like donuts. So there was a, an electric sign on this front storefront that said JC Power and Light Company free donuts and coffee. So maybe they bought donuts just for me that night. So I walked in there and uh, I knew I was in the wrong place. Everybody looked so straight and I had, believe it or not, this takes faith, hair like Jimmy Page down here somewhere. Um, and so this guy beelined for me and he just said, Jesus Christ loves you. And I said, who, who are you talking about? So he started going down that road. Coming down from acid, I wasn't quite there. But I heard in a voice in my spirit that said, get out of here while, while you can escape. So, but it looked like God had put epoxy glue in my pants. I couldn't get off the chair. And I thought, why am I letting this little punk talk to me the way he's talking? He was about 20 years old. So finally, after 30 minutes, I'm eating my donuts, and he said, if Jesus Christ could change your life tonight, totally change your life overnight, would you give your heart to him? And I said, you know, I'll try anything once. I said, um, okay. He said, do you want to do it here with these 20 people in front of you, or do you want to do it in the private room? I said, I'll go there. So I prayed this religious prayer. I got on my knees as a former Catholic. I said, Jesus, if you're up there somewhere, if you really care for me the way this guy said, if you can change my life, if you can heal me from bleeding ulcers caused by meth, mm. um, then I'll, I'll give you my life. Before I finished that prayer, the power of God dropped in this room. And because I was still druggy, I said, Jesus is in the room. Jesus is in the room. He said, he's not in the room, sir. He's coming to your heart. Mm. I, I said, that cannot be true. That's impossible. That's too good. But at 2 o'clock in the morning, he said, we're closing down. You've got to go home. So I feared that if I left the room, I'd leave Jesus. So I felt so good. I was sober as could be, like I never used drugs once. So I drove back to my girlfriend's, woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, woke her up, and I said, guess what happened to me? And she said, you've lost your mind. You left her on drugs. Now you say you met God. Well, I said, well, it's not like I met George Bush or something. But I said, he came in my heart. He forgave me my sin. She said, you don't even know nothing about the Bible. I said, that's true. But I said, I know this. It's wrong to sleep with you. This relationship is over tonight. Mm. Wow. Uh, and I said, the drugs is history. So I took my drugs, put them in a plastic bag, buried them in the backyard. I figured, that in case this doesn't work, yeah. I can go back and get the drugs. <laughs> because I had no knowledge of Bible per se. Yeah. 
Where am I going to sleep? I thought I'll go to my brother's house. I went there. There's an all-night party. Everybody's stoned. Everybody's on drugs. So when I walked in, they're playing music. There's a lot of Hindu pictures around. And they said, man, what happened to you? You look different. I said, I met Jesus tonight. And they said, right. I said, and I, I told him what happened to me. He said, why are you so extreme? Remember what you did in the Hindu temple? I said, this is the real thing. This is the real thing. And I started preaching, I guess. I said, look, you need Jesus. That stuff on the wall is not God at all. So my brother said, shut up. Don't you talk that way in this house. If you don't shut up, you're not sleeping here. So I thought, I better be quiet and try to have a place to sleep. So he said, you've got the sofa. The party was crashed. So I prayed a prayer at about 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, Jesus, if this is real, have me wake up feeling the same way. Mm. And then two hours later, 6 o'clock, I've never got up 6 in the, my life. Um, I woke up and I felt brand new. I thought, man, too much. It's like I slept all night. So I thought, I better go to church. But the guy who brought me to the Lord, he... Uh, he didn't talk about church. He didn't give me his uh, phone number. He didn't give me a track. He did all the stuff wrong. But I thought, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Mm. Uh, and I, I have a new life. I, I know it. I can feel it. I have a new life. So I went to Santa Rosa. And uh, I, I went to the Catholic Church. I'd never been there before. And it was dead just like it was before. And uh, I said, what am I going to do? I think I'll have breakfast. So I went to a Denny's restaurant 24-7. And the guy that led me to the Lord was at the cashier. I said, Ron, remember me? Last night I got saved. He said, yeah. He said, uh, come on in. I said, I want to go to church. He said, we're having a Bible study in the back room. So I joined him, followed his car, went to church four times that week, that day. Uh, and someone gave me a secondhand Bible. And I, I felt I got a brand new start. So I went back to the club with Richard. And my brother said, where have you been all day? We own this club. You're supposed to be here. I said, sorry, I got saved. I got the Bible. Wow. I've been to church four times. She said, you have flipped. You have lost your mind. You are crazy. I said, maybe I'm crazy, but I'm happy crazy. Mm. I'm very happy. And I have peace. I feel like I took a shower on the inside. Yeah. So I said, Richard, you need Jesus. And he said, listen, way, woe down there, woe down. So in the next week, all the customers that I would serve, I'd start preaching Jesus to them. And my brother said, you're losing customers here. We're not making customers. Please mellow out. Mm. I said, you know, here's the keys. I don't want this place no more. No, 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 no. Just, just don't talk about Jesus all the time. I said, I need Jesus all the time. Yeah. So to cut to the chase, that was a, a jumpstart conversion mm -hmm. kind of a deal. Supernatural, dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ and, and stopped doing drugs, stopped sleeping with his girlfriend. And what a, what a powerful testimony so far. So, so please continue. The church that I was attending, a large Assembly of God church that was in revival, about a thousand people, they said, go to Bible school. Go to this one-year Bible school in UK. Well, I don't know why they sent me to a Baptist-type Bible school, and I'm not against Baptist people whatsoever. But this was the quietest Bible school in the world, and everybody there was so straight-laced except me. I was the, the odd man out. So being so bored, I just read my Bible a lot, and, uh, which was a new book to me, and I got to pray. One year later, I graduated. I was so happy to graduate, to get out of there. But I came back to California stable. I had a stable faith. I knew why I believed what I believed. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit in spite of their situation there. So I thought, Lord, I want to go into the ministry. I felt the night I got saved, Jesus put something in my heart to do something other than just work. So I gave up working on my master's program and said, I'm going to do something for the Lord. And not knowing anything in one year Bible school didn't help much. So I went to the assemblies and said, I want to be one of your pastors. And they said, with one year Bible school, there's the door in a nice way. <laughs> So I thought they have missed a good opportunity because I'm the man of God, hallelujah. Yeah. I was obviously humble like some Americans. <laughs> and I thought they missed it. They missed an opportunity. 
And so I went to some other churches and they also seemed to overlook my credentials. Um, and so when things didn't happen, I just joined a local church, started serving mm -hmm. and assisting a ministry there named uh, Arthur Blessed, who was a cross carrying. And so I started working in his coffee shop and he carried the cross to every nation, including North Korea. But just was starting at that time, led two million to Christ one at a time. So I got to serve coffee in his shop, do small stuff. And I figured if I can just get 1% of what he's got to rub off on me by example, I'll be a happy camper. And so something happened there. So uh, I got married, praise the Lord. Uh, married a youth pastor's, um, excuse me, youth minister and a female gal from a Foursquare church, had three children. I was serving God, pastoring a small church in Santa Rosa. I thought, Lord, how is this happening to me? Mm. And I was having a good time, 50 people. I couldn't get the church to go to more than 50. 51 wouldn't come. Mm. So I said, Lord, what's wrong? Why can't I grow this church beyond 50 people? And he said, because you're not a pastor. I said, well, I've got a papers from the assembly that says I am. He says, it's, it's untrue. It's a lie. You, you, are, you do not have the call to be a pastor. Whoa. So I said, well, if I'm not a pastor, what am I? He said, you're a potential missionary down the road. So, I, I got a, so a guy walked into church one day, American First Nation guy, big, strong guy, carrying a cross like Arthur Blessed, put it against the wall and said, God told me to join your church. So I kind of felt a little intimidated and how's this guy going to fit in here? It's a strange kind of a deal. And he had a radical conversion to Christ. So he said, I've just come from Vietnam. First American to be in Vietnam since 75. Preached the gospel, underground church, radical stuff. They said they need a pastor. I feel like the Lord told me, you're supposed to go with me. So I made all the reasons why I couldn't go. Some of them were true. Some were not. So I said, I don't have any money. He said, I'll, I'll ha I have faith. I'll get the money for you in the Lord. Do you agree to go or you're a coward? No one's going to call me a coward. I said, oh. I'll go. I'll go. So we went to this trip. Again, it was 10 days. Um, and just it was over the top. Um, run and jump from roofs, crawling on the fields on my belly. Uh, just going to secret, secret, secret meetings. And I saw the blind healed through my own hands. I saw the deaf healed through my hands. I thought, how could this be? So when I came back 10 days later, I was on the tarmac and the Lord said to me, someday you'll live in this country. And I thought, not tomorrow. I like California. I, I was born again in the USA and so on, so on. I am not a missionary. I don't speak foreign languages. I don't like foreign languages. So I went back to pastoring the church, but I was bored. Suddenly I'm bored with the church. Mm. The people were good people. Uh, so then Vietnam said, come back, come back, come back. No one could live there at the time from the West. So I got to the top of my game, so to speak, in 1995. This was from 89 through 95. I got to be foundational with apostolic kind of stuff uh, in the beginning of the church movement there. And so when I was so happy and so joyful, um, I got deported. And uh, I got deported for seven years. Somewhere between then and when I was doing the church, my previous wife said, I'm out of this relationship. She said, I'm in love with the worship leader. Whoa. And I'm, I'm walking out of here and uh, I'm taking the kids with me and I got, I'm going to get custody. And she said, you don't make enough money to make me happy in the ministry. Uh, and it was, this was not a deteriorating marriage or a, a guy that was addicted to ministry kind of stuff, you know, and let his marriage go south. Not at all. Uh, I loved my wife big time. Uh, but I, I, sh I married the wrong person. Uh, she came from a divorced family, eight divorces, her mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, I did everything I could to save that marriage big time and got nowhere. And God spoke to me one day and said, she will never uh, get right with you. It's over. So it just was heartbreaking, mm, sure. huge. And the rejection that you must have. Yeah, I, I used to wonder what, that. I had no rejection in my life. I thought, man, I'm a happy guy. I'm yeah. God's the pupil of his eye, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, now this is what it feels like. 
So the, then the you get down on yourself. So I resigned from the ministry. Obviously, my house is out of order. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I got a job doing phone solicitation. I hated it. Mm. To get, what has happened to me? And uh, it, it got worse. Everything yeah. fell apart. It got worse and worse and worse. So finally, one day I got arrested by the police because my wife lied and said I did something or other. And so I'm in jail. And I said, why, why am I in jail? Why isn't she in jail? She's with the boyfriend living in my home, mm. and there's a restraining order against me. So I, just, I went off on the Lord a little bit. Well, yeah, like anybody would freak out. Yeah, yeah. God didn't fall off the throne. I, I was falling off mine, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm in jail between two prisoners there, and they asked me, why are you here? And I said, don't talk to me about it. Don't even ask me. The Lord says, why don't you witness to them? I said, you're not working for me. I'm not working for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Lord yeah. says, overcome your attitude. You better say hi. So I tried preaching to them. and said, shut up. We don't want to hear this. But it was good for me. Mm -hmm. So to cut to the chase, I just started attending a good church, taking in some healing. Uh, just enjoying the Word of God and worship, and some people that loved on me. That was big time. And, uh, and the Lord said one day, go back to Vietnam. I said, why? He said, go back to Vietnam, just obey me. So I went back there, and uh, some things were stimulated and stirred up in my heart. Uh, and, uh, and so I just felt like I need Vietnam, and Vietnam needs me. And so to cut to the chase, that's when I advanced forward and went right up to 95, active, building stuff nationwide. And... Uh, so one day I got deported. And when I got deported, there was no way to get into Vietnam. I tried everything under the sun. And one day a prophet, Keith Hazel, spoke over me. And he said, uh, I see you jumping out of a plane and into the parachute. And, you, and you're going to land in Vietnam. And then a crosswind blows you and you land next door in the country over there. You don't give up. You crawl on your belly. You get to the barbed wire fences and you're trying to cut it through, but your, your knife won't work. And God said, I have stopped you from going into Vietnam. I'm the God that has the, the key of David. And I close a door and I open a door. This one is, I have closed it, not the devil, not the communist government of Vietnam. I have closed the door and I will open a better door. Um, I argued with the Lord for a month, prayer, fasting, um, open the door, open the door, and God says it doesn't work that way. So anyway, God spoke to me three times about Cambodia, not Cameron, but Cambodia. Cambodia. I told the Lord why I don't want to go to Cambodia and he didn't listen. So then I, I submitted it to the eldership of the church. And they said, you're not called to Cambodia. Power faith your way back into Vietnam. That's where you're called, man. And I said, I tried that. It didn't work. God's stronger than me, that's for sure. So I said, will you guys do this? Will you pray and fast for three days, and I'll do the same. And if God tells you guys for me not to go to Cambodia, I'm a submitted man. I submit to leadership. Then I won't go, because I don't want to go anyway. Mm -hmm. It was easy to submit to. Uh, so they all prayed and said, five of us got go to Cambodia. Even the pastor said, I'm disappointed, but go to Cambodia. So now I'm stuck. So I asked Kim Lean who I'd come to know. Let me tell you about how I met my wife. I'm in a meeting in Vietnam, a high intensity, a secret meeting at the ocean. And uh, as I'm photographing some people, the Holy Spirit says, that woman shall be your wife in the mm. future. Wow. I was not wife hunting. I believed at that point in time, once and it's over. But anyway, so uh, after the meeting, she didn't speak any English. I just found out she's single, what her name was. And I said, boy, I'm glad these guys are blind and they don't see her and no one's married her so far. So uh, she was very traditional Vietnamese, and uh, so um, I got to know her a little bit through a translator, and, uh, and so four years later I married her. Mm -hmm. And it was like the second best thing that's happened in my life. And she said, I want to serve my people. I'm not interested in moving to America. Mm -hmm. um, I want to serve my nation. I said, yeah, I'm, not, I'm renouncing my citizenship a little bit in the States. I'm not going there. So we got involved in the ministry. So having, being born, she had to learn English right there in the marriage. We, she could talk, my dog is brown, 
when we first got married. She had to run away to Cambodia illegally and go to jail if you get caught, real jail, to marry me. Pastor flew over there from the States, did the marriage. We had to pay people almost to come to the wedding. We didn't know anybody in the country, for real. The motorcycle driver, would you please come? Would you bring your wife? Oh. We had 35 people. It was major attendance. Yeah. yeah, three languages to do the wedding. But it worked, you know, 21 years later, happy days are here. Mm -hmm. And so now all I had to do is figure out why I'm in Cambodia. And so we had a lot of time to pray. So I just, I was in the middle of a war, you know, with the Khmer Rouge at that time. So I'm just walking the streets and walking back and forth in the home. Jesus, what do we do? What do we do? To cut to the chase, I got a newspaper. And once a week, they had an English-speaking paper. And it talked about war with the Khmer Rouge. And all, every day I'd hear helicopters. And they were landing near my house, pulling out victims of the bombings and landmines and so on. So anyway, I took on my motorcycle. I went to a military hospital. And I found all these young people dying and wounded uh, with very little medicine and the kids screaming out, boy soldiers, uh, et cetera, so much. And the helicopters land right there. And I came home crying. I said to my wife, I have found out why we come to Cambodia. I said, we're going to help these guys. Only problem, we have no one that speaks that language. So God provided a woman. And, and so we started leading these people to Christ and healing the sick and eventually getting them healthy enough where we could put them on a motorcycle there were no buses, there were no taxis in Cambodia. Hmm. So we put two guys in the back of a motorcycle, and I'd call another bike until we had 35 to 50 guys weaving like me, like a snake, across town, walking up 121 steps, guys with no arms, legs, ears, eyes. Wow. You know, get one up there, come back, get another one, so they could hear a Cambodia preacher. Hmm. And uh, they started calling me Jesus sometime or Father. And I, I felt so honored. I thought, God, if I die in Cambodia doing this, I'm a happy camper. I don't need to be some big preacher. Uh, this, is, this is what you made me for. And God brought us to Cambodia, I believe both of us, to learn how to love people. Mm -hmm. And if we could learn how to love people successfully, uh, then um, we, we, um, yeah, God could make us useful. Yeah. And so uh, we started doing that kind of thing. One day I prayed a ridiculous prayer. It just came into my mouth and I spit it out. And I said, Jesus, if I have to live in this demon-possessed country, which obviously was not a good day, yeah. Uh, I said, give me the Khmer Rouge. That just came out of my mouth. Give me the Khmer Rouge. Give me the bad guys who did all this stuff that mm -hmm. killed two million people after they had revolution. So I had, two, I had three dreams, and all dreams were about the Khmer Rouge, but the last one was major. White helicopter. I'm in the chopper with these other people, my wife. We land in the center of a jungle where the top leader of the, the Khmer Rouge uh, at that time, Yi Chin, a general, he's there with brother, Pol Pot's brother-in-law. And so there's guns and there's turrets of tanks and all that kind of stuff. And so the chopper took off, leaving us there. So I went to the big church that we were connecting with and the Lord and said, I heard you got a helicopter. You've got a friend that's got one or something. He said, yeah, but I won't let you have a contact with that guy because you shouldn't be preaching the gospel in my country. That's our job. You can teach, you can tithe. Oh, no. You can teach, but you can tithe. And you can't teach unless you tithe. So that was his point of view. So you, normally I'd have an attitude, I'd have to pray it through and you know, just say, geez, he's a leader. But it was water off a duck's back because I heard God and I, from the dream. I said, God's going to go. So I said, we're going we're to fly to this little city in Cambodia on that Russian prop. We're going to go as far as we can and then God's going to provide the chopper. And so with that kind of faith that God gave, we flew to Batambang. And we got out of that helicopter, the white helicopter was right down the road. I ran down there, the guy spoke a little English. He said, for 50 bucks, I'll take you. I'm a rogue pilot. This, mm. this is the Air Force One of Cambodia. It belongs to Prime Minister Hun Sen. If he knew you were doing this, it wouldn't be funny. But I need 50 bucks. So we got in that chopper, flew to the scene I described in the dream, 
when we, and it left us there. The Khmer Rouge looked at us like, who are you? Why'd you come? And then we looked at them like, we don't know, and it was gone. So they put us up with seven Khmer Rouge soldiers with AK-47s, bullets, hand grenades. We had a, there was no way to lock the door. And um, each in assigned two guys with AK-47s. They said, wherever you go, even if you have to water the tree, because there's no bathrooms here, they, you're under escort. So I felt like I had two angels with assault rifles. As so we did door-to-door -door evangelism in the, these grass huts, and we had no response. They were hard as just cold. They hate the Vietnamese because they invaded them. So I said, Lord, we need a breakthrough here. So I said, you got anybody, you have any military hospitals here? We had a field hospital. So we took him over. There was nobody there except a 14-year-old boy soldier. He was in comatose level five in brain malaria, ready to die. And so we prayed our guts out for this kid. Jesus, we rebuked the devil. We did the whole nine, for real, for real. And I did it again and again. They test the parasites and said, nothing's changed. The doctor was trained in Beijing, China, the personal physician of Pol Pot. Speak perfect English. So finally, I slammed my foot on the table. I said, listen, doctor, if this was your son, you wouldn't give up. Because mm -hmm. he told me, why should you care? You're an American. You can go home. This is a dirty Cambodia boy. I said, that's my son. That's my son when I look at his face. I said, if this was your son, you'd do something besides mm -hmm. telling me what you do. He said, all right, maybe a blood transfusion, a total transfusion would jack him up, jol jolt him. I said, well, how can we do that? He said, he's type A. I need a liter of, of this blood. Where can I get it? He said, back in Batamang. How can I get there? He said, I'll arrange a jeep. We'll secretly drive through the jungles. A lot of landmines stay off the road, stay off anywhere. There's a million landmines in that region of Cambodia. Uh, so to cut to the chase, um, got to the hospital, got a liter of blood, sent it back to that village. I only had $14 in my pocket. The boy came too. The next time we got money from the States to go to that village, I met with Khmer Rouge leadership and they said, when that boy is alive, and they said, why did you do that? And we talked. They said, you are now a member of the Khmer Rouge. Wow. That's the truth. That's what he said, which yeah. to me was a great, it was great a compliment. Honor. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I, I thought, I don't care what they did. What I did, put Jesus mm -hmm. on the cross, is all relevant. And uh, so they said, you, you, have, you have favor here. We don't believe in what you're doing here, mm -hmm. but you can start churches. You can do whatever you want to do. So they just opened the door for you. Opened there. the door. Yep. I said, who am yep. I? A nobody. Who am I? A, yeah. a son yeah. of God that doesn't speak Khmer language. I have no missionary training. Don't yeah. speak the it's zip, zip, yeah. zip. But it's who he is. So, so I thought, if I do that and die in Cambodia, I'm a happy guy, mm -hmm. big time. But God's sometimes beyond that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, we're going to bring Doug back for our next episode of Equip, and he's going to continue on telling his story and uh, how he moved on to Vietnam and what him and his wife Kim are doing over there now. So again, thank you for tuning into this episode of Equip. Um, if you want more information, you can visit our website at equipministries.ca.